the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If this is the first time you listen to the show, fine. Welcome aboard. If you've been here before, you know pretty much what we're doing. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the second part of the show, uh, we talk about politics, history, religion. And we're going to be talking a little bit about history, recent history, Hurricane Sandy later in the show. But as you know, the first part of the show, when we talk about estate planning, elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, using trying to save assets from nursing home bills. So as you know, usually we start off with one of our attorneys, and today we've got Eugene Krivelitz. Eugene, welcome to Connor's Corner. Thank you for having me again. Okay, so tell the audience a little bit about your background. I'm an associate attorney with Connors and Sullivan. Prior to being with this firm, I worked uh, with Stan on the district attorney's office for a few years. Uh, before that, did some landlord-tenant litigation and guardianship work. All right. Let me ask you something. Since you work for the DA's office, what what is your current intake in, the, let's say, the DA in, in New York County? What's going on there? Is there any rationale behind the, the thought? Is there any thought process behind what's going on? I'm not sure what the thought process is. All I see is uh, constant news reports and uh, situations where people get assaulted in the middle of the street. You have people getting hacked in the head with uh, hatchets, knives. Uh, I don't think the streets are safe, uh, and I think all New Yorkers uh, could see that, regardless of what they're being told in the media. Yeah, but, but I mean, you know, let's say that bodega owner, why was he... You know, it's a, yeah, he's soft on crime, except if there's a, a employee of a store who's being assaulted and he acts in self-defense, then he's prosecuted, or at least was the edge of being prosecuted. Yeah, soft on crime, tough on victims. Um, 
in that situation, what message does that send? Uh, if you're perpetrating a crime, odds are that the DA will not go hard at you. Probably no bail set or low bail. The person might be out on the street in a couple of hours. But if you're a victim and you are defending yourself, you have to second guess whether there will be consequences for self-defense. So what do you do? You either get killed or defend yourself? If that's the option, I will go with defending yourself and worrying with uh, what happens afterwards. Yeah. As one of our former employees used to say, as a former police officer, you know, better to be judged by 12 than carried out by six. Right. But in any event, let's talk a little bit about estate planning. Uh, you had a question about powers of attorney. Can you rephrase it for us? or? Yeah, not just powers of attorneys, but other documents as well. A lot of our clients have two or three kids that um, they want to be involved as their agents, whether it's on the power of attorney or trust or as executors of the will, they don't want to leave out any of their kids not to upset them or to create a conflict among their kids. So the question is, what can they do to mitigate um, any problems that might occur if the kids don't work well together or if they think that one of the kids might be a problem child? Yeah, because that's one of the problems. You know, like some people say, well, a committee gets nothing done. I want to prove, I want to pick one child to be in charge, but that could cause problems with the others if particularly if they're, you know, sibling rivalries or whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, what some people do, and I'm not saying this is the right thing, but they divide the jobs among their children. In other words, maybe they have one child as power of attorney, another child as executor, another child as trustee, maybe another child as, as health care proxy. You know, that's the way some people do it. Some people say, well, I'll put all my children, let's say you got three kids, I'll put all three of the children down and let them work it out. And listen, most of the time, most families, I think the children work together. But there is the problem where the children don't get work together. And especially if you have uh, children from different prior marriages. You know, they, they may be half brothers or sisters, but they didn't grow up in the same house. And they may not have that close a relationship. What do you, what do, you do if you have two kids, they don't get along? and you, you want to choose one of them or something to be the power of attorney. Well, the problem with that is, you know, if you choose one as power of attorney, it's almost like you're favoring one over the other. And then if you choose both of them as a power of attorney, well, what if they don't agree and you're in effect frozen? Now, if you got three, maybe you can say two out of three. But even then that could cause problems because the third might say, well, the other two are ganging up on me. And uh, the, the point I'm trying to make in, in this conversation is not a right answer. It's we got to talk it over and just figure out what's the best under the circumstances. Like I said, some people I've seen what they do, they give different jobs to different children. So one child would be the health care proxy to make medical decisions. Another child would be power of attorney to pay bills and manage assets while you're alive. A third child might be the trustee or executor to manage assets after you're gone. And, you know, you divide the jobs and each give one child something to do. And not show real favoritism, but at the same time, you're not getting into the committee problem where, like some people say, a committee, committee gets nothing done. You know, you're selling your house after you're gone. You have three children as trustees, you know, and one child says, I want to use broker A, and another child says, I want to use broker B. And the third child says, well, I don't care which one you use, decide. You know, it, it's it's not always easy. It's one of those things you got to talk about. And and. You know, a lot of times when you're doing the estate planning, it's not easy. Now, some people say it's complicated. 
I wouldn't say it's complicated, but sometimes it's difficult to make decisions. And you got to give it your best thought. We can have a conversation. We've been there before, whatever happens. You know, whatever kind of scenario you, you bring up, whatever kind of scenario that you can think of, we've been there before. And again, there's not a right answer ahead of time, but sometimes the best answer is just talk it over, put our heads together, and then try to come up with a plan. Eugene, let's. where are you from originally? Uh, from Belarus. Belarus. So, so. all right. Well, unfortunately, we, we're not going to solve the world's problems in this segment, and we do have to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by Eugene Krivelitz, my son, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope, we can give them medicines, we can give them medical equipment, we can give them everything they're looking for, because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help, too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, we, we have a guest who walked into the studio. It's John Siskanik, and welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Mike. Um, glad to be here. Now, we were talking about the Civil War just before we started to go on the air, but what is your position? So I do estate planning for Christendom College, which is a small college in uh, Front Row, Virginia, right in the heart of uh, the Shenandoah Valley. 
Okay, so how? Uh, what is Christendom College? So Christendom College is, uh, I, you know, it's probably um, uh, one of the best ways to describe it is it's a it's one of the the new uh, authentically Catholic co-ed colleges in the United States that uh, are not, which is interesting, they're not actually under the uh, auspices of a diocese or a um, or a religious order. We're actually lay-run, which is pretty interesting. There aren't many of us. What do you mean by authentically Catholic? So authentically Catholic, uh, of course, is a is a might be considered a controversial description, but we take our faith very seriously. My own experience at uh, a Catholic university um, was. Uh, was where the, the Catholic faith was kind of something you put on the bookshelf and you acknowledge it, but you don't really practice it. Christendom is uh, deeply committed to practicing, to building the the, uh, the character of a, of a Christian gentleman uh, and, and um, Christian women. Um, we take it very seriously. That's I think that's the simplest way. All right. And what, what, what kind of academic programs do you offer? What kind of majors? So uh, the Southern Association is, has accredited the college um, to grant uh, baccalaureate degrees in seven or eight majors. Uh, and we also have a we're licensed to offer the master's program in theology through our graduate program. So, I mean, would you only go there if you wanted a master's degree in theology, or what other majors are there? No, most most of uh, the interest in the college is uh, to get a, a liberal arts degree. We we have um, majors in in history, English, uh, 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 philosophy, theology, uh, political science, economics, uh, mathematics, natural sciences. Um, but really, we are where uh, I think a liberal arts education is is an education is learning how to think on your feet and, and, and not necessarily be job trained. It's um, that's that's one of the classic definitions of the liberal arts education. Learn uh, what is worth knowing. How did it start? How did Christendom College so start? So it, it was founded back in the in, in the, the mid seventies by Dr. Warren Carroll, who uh, was a convert to the Catholic faith. He resolved to found a college that would remain uh, independent of uh, any kind of government um, interference, uh, and would be strictly dedicated to teaching the liberal arts. Uh, which is uh, why he, you know, uh, uh, um, began. It took him two or three years to get it founded, but in the beginning, uh, the college had 26 students, uh, rented space, and maybe $50,000 in the bank. It was quite a, a what's the word, a Kyotian uh, <laughs> dream. Um, today, we are um, 200. Uh, Beautiful acres in the Shenandoah Valley. We have 650 students, if you include our graduate program. Uh, $95 million in assets. Uh, very little debt um, and, and uh, uh, very, very highly regarded, uh, very competitive academically. Where do you get your funding? So funding is an interesting question. We raise, um, since we do not take federal government funds or subsidies, we fundraise for our operating budget we fundraise for buildings and right now i think it's about 25 percent of our annual operating budget comes through fundraising and 100 percent of our buildings because um 
And that's that's something that each class learns in unique ways. They 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 assume that the buildings were either always there or that they were paid through tuition, which is not the case. We fundraise for all our buildings. We have a very beautiful campus. We uh, maybe you're familiar with the new chapel we're building. Remarkable uh, what the college has been able to accomplish over the past 45 years. Now, why would somebody go there? And why? Let, let's say our audience, probably their grandparents. Why would, would their grandchildren want to go to Christendom College? Why would their parents encourage them to go there? Well, I guess I'm going to point back to the mission, which is, you know, that, the, that you know, we, we provide uh, liberal arts education. We have a uh, fully integrated 86-credit uh, core curriculum, which is un, almost unheard of today. Um, the, the, our purpose is to form the whole person uh, for, you know, a life spent in the pursuit of wisdom and truth. Uh, these things are almost passe today. I'm sorry to say, but that's my perspective, my own experience there. Uh, and, and so I'll tell you, grandparents are one of our greatest, uh, advocates. They, they look at what we do and they say, I want my grandchildren to experience that because they, they realize that when you are liberally educated you have a you have a um uh, an an awe and an appreciation for the truth and how it affects every aspect of your life whether it's career family uh your involvement in your in your church in many ways and this is exactly what they want there that they make no bones about it i i don't want to name any other church uh, any other schools but can you exam give his example of what happens at some colleges and universities that are nominally Catholic? Well, that's that's uh, can be a difficult answer. So rather than me describing what these colleges are like, I would I would only refer to my own experience and the experience of my friends. And uh, while I love them deeply, uh, we basically did not we were we were not encouraged to foster our faith. It was purely, well, it was substantially uh, job-related uh, and and uh, just have a lot of fun. So I think if, if, if I could say it's that, that the faith was not an integral part of my education at this non-authentically Catholic college. Does that, does that work? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unusual. But there's some bad examples. Well... It's, it's worse than the just... Letting you on your own, I believe. I'm I'm going to yeah yeah I, I agree, uh, but I really think that that's something I would encourage parents and grandparents to look carefully at the information that is available at many many colleges that uh, don't take their faith. Many let's let's clarify that. Look very carefully at the programs available at. Uh, ostensibly Catholic colleges and look at what they teach, look at who they hire. Um, you know, is there, you know, the co uh, let me say this, the college, Christendom College's faculty takes an annual oath of fidelity publicly before a bishop, our bishop or uh, the bishop's representative every year at the beginning of the college. So where uh, we are, that's an example of how serious we are about our faith. I don't know of any other Catholic college that has done something like that. Uh, you might recall that John Paul um, had encouraged Catholic faculty to seek a mandatum from, I think that was the word, 
from their bishop in order to be to be uh, to teach uh, theology, Catholic theology, and uh, that has that was roundly ridiculed, and um, so uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, um, but I I I. I, I I'm just saying, speaking to my clients sometimes, I think some of them don't even realize that how secular some, quote, Catholic colleges are. I agree. And and uh, when I was in admissions for four or five years, uh, parents would come to me and say, you're right wing, aren't you? You're on the right side of everything. And I would say, well, we, I would say, we have been in the center of the road. The entire road seems to be sliding to the left. I think uh, one of the judges called it slouching towards Gomorrah or something. Yeah. The, the road is literally sliding to the left. The whole culture is going left. And if we hold, our, we hold the line, we appear to be moving to the right, but in fact, we're not. We're simply staying put. What kind of students are you looking for? Uh, any student who has a desire to learn what is true, good, and beautiful. It doesn't, you know, I mean, um, how, uh, I I guess the question would be, how do you find students who who are interested? So what we do is we raise our banner high and, and, and expect that people will see us from a distance and say, oh, wait a minute, that's me. That appeals to me. I'm going to go find out who they are. Does that make, again, that makes sense? Again, talking about whether it's a student, his parents, his grandparents or grandparents, how how do they find you? Um, well, one of the most popular, one of the one of the, well, let's say the more uh, many of our students, many of the families from which the students come, find us through what I would refer to as the Cardinal Newman Society College Guide. They do publish one that used to be in in. in uh, black and white on paper, but of course that doesn't exist anymore. You know, uh, you can go online, and and uh, the Cardinal Newman Society is is an is a group that is uh, dedicated to promoting uh, Catholic education in the country, and they have examined uh, and they've done a, a a study of all the Catholic universities, and then defined those that they feel meets a certain standard, and they found maybe ten or twelve, and we get a lot of people through that guide. Ten or twelve throughout the United States. Uh, that's the that's the Cardinal Newman Society's uh, judgment. Yes. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little well, dumbfounded you know, and shocked. It is it, well, it, I, I, it is. Um, would that it surprise you if I said to you that we are? I think I think it's it's accurate to say we're the only Catholic college that does not take federal funding. Also, we have a um, uh, a, a really a substantial number of our graduates who now if we're to be known by the fruits of our labor. We have a substantial number of young men who have answered the call to the priesthood, women who have entered in religious life. We have a, uh, a substantial proportion of our graduates enter mission work, and they say, I'm going to give two years of my life to a group called, for example, Focus, or they'll go and do work in, in mission territory in, in Central America. Um if you combine these, these, this, the, the number that enter the priesthood, we have over 100 priests in 45 years. We have 75 to 80 women who have entered religious life. We have 
hundreds of mission uh, students, uh, uh, graduates who've gone to mission work. Put them all together, it's somewhere in the eight to nine percent range, which is almost tithing, not quite, but <laughs> <laughs> for those who know what that means, um, that to me, it, again, if we're known by the fruits of our labor, look at these young people. Uh, we have a a 97% intact marriage rate in the United States, sorry, among our alumni. What is, what's the divorce rate in the United States? Uh, today, less than half of married couples remain married. And, and we have a 97%. So we're doing something that is, at least the evidence we can point to is that we are, we're achieving what we intend to be and what we want to do. Now, why don't you guys take federal money? Well, the quick answer is because the federal government requires that doesn't doesn't suggest it requires that we do certain things. We we educate in a particular way. We hire a certain kind of uh, you know people, and we would prefer to uh, hire the people who uh, hire and educate those who seek what we offer, not because we're trying to meet a quota. Fair enough. Now, where are you located? Where's the college physically located? So the the college is located on the on the uh, the shores of the Shenandoah River in Front Royal, which is the gate they call it the gateway to the Shenandoah Valley. We are if you if you uh, can you imagine in your mind's eye the, a map of the Washington D.C. area, the Beltway is like a clock, and we are nine o'clock exactly sixty miles one one mile sorry one hour due west of the Washington Beltway. Now, of course, some of our Civil War fans out there remember George Armstrong uh, Custer was out (laughs) in your neck of the woods in 1864. He was, and he wasn't very popular at that time. Well, it depends Uh, on your point of view. That's true. (laughs) He may not be popular with the residents. That is exactly true. He Apparently, he... Uh, captured some uh, Confederate raiders, cavalry raiders, and they mm-hmm. and they dragged them up and down the streets of Front Royal, and some of them were executed on the front lawns of their homes, and others were hung. And uh, the, that that was I th- that could have gotten very ugly. I mean, and and but my my um, my study of that. Uh, tells me that it was Abraham Lincoln who heard of it and said, "No, we're not going to. We're not going there. These these are people we want to welcome back into our, into the fold after this war is over. We're not going to create this episode just to 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 dig in that hatred that that would last for centuries. Yeah, and I know or generations I, rather. My understanding is Robert E. Lee was also very concerned about that because at the time, Fitzhugh Lee was a prisoner up here in Brooklyn. I didn't know that. That's yes, in uh, Fort not, Hamilton, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, or Fort Hamilton, Fort Lafayette, which technically was not Brooklyn back in 1864. Yeah. But And, you know, uh, Lee was stationed at Fort Hamilton. Yes, which, unfortunately, the main avenue at Fort Hamilton used to be called General Robert E. Lee Street. I didn't know that. Avenue, I believe, I, but they yeah. changed that. I do know that, that Lee did not want a single statue dedicated in his honor after the war was over. So there's, there's a, it's a very interesting time of American history. Okay. Now, 
a lot of people, I, I, a lot of our listeners who, who aren't to the Civil War in history, obviously they know the Shenandoah Valley was very important into the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. First with Stonewall Jackson and mm-hmm. then later with Phil Sheridan. Yes. Yes. And I, I've made a kind of a decision to that I want to visit. I think I mentioned to you before, I want to visit every major battlefield in the, in the American Civil War. Uh, and I've, I'm almost done. I'm getting close. <laughs> What have you missed so far? I haven't been to Vicksburg. Okay, that's a that's a big one. It's an interesting site. Yeah, and do do you remember the historian Ed Bars? I do not. Okay, Ed Bars was a uh, was a World War II veteran. His uh, he he was in the Solomon Islands, New Britain. His left arm was completely crippled by Japanese machine gun fire. Okay. He had a bullet in his right shoulder. He couldn't move his right arm. Uh, he had some wounds to his leg. He recovered, took the GI Bill, went to Georgetown, worked with the National Park Service for 50 years, okay. and in that time memorized every battlefield report of the Civil War. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he could tell you what colonels were on the battlefield at any time. <laughs> In any battle of the Civil yeah. War, he, if if anybody again, if you remember Ken Burns, the Civil War, of course, he's the bold guy with the booming voice. Oh, that! But <laughs> he, you know, he spent a lot of time. I've spent a lot of time, and he, like I said, one time we're on the Antietam battlefield with him, and my wife asked him. She had a relative in the Fifth Alabama, and she just asked him a question. He says, "Well, wait a little while." And then he stops the bus and he says at approximately 3.15 p.m. on September 16th, 1862, the 5th Alabama came over that ridge. <laughs> but he was a remarkable personality and he knew all the battles in the, yeah. the Shenandoah Valley. Unfortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago at 98, but he was yeah. a tremendous personality and yeah. character. Yeah. And... Um, I think he might appreciate Christendom College. To well, <laughs> he would have been welcome. Yes. <laughs> now, what kind of history courses do you have there? Uh, we, uh, uh, consistent with our perspective, uh, our Catholic perspective, is we we have, uh, you know, the core being 86 credits. There are six semesters of history. And it's 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 uh, Catholic history one two three and then and then others, but uh, being in in estate planning, I, I you know I did not attend the college. My wife did, but I I did not. So I'm not as uh, well versed in the the specific courses that the college offers. Do you have any uh, programs where you have um, make investments in pooled income trusts or? Annuity trusts. Now, do you, do you mean in the, on the fundraising, the business yes. side of the college? Yes. yes. Yeah, we do. Um, most of the estate planning, my office is fairly young, five, six years uh, in running. We have done uh, deferred gifts, uh, planned gifts uh, as early as 2000, but that was not by design. It was... The donors would come to us and say, you know, I want to do this, and we would follow along. Now we're actually promoting the idea of of, of uh, generating uh, uh, gifts uh, for through trusts, annuities, uh, and and even so, the vast majority of our plan gifts come through estate plans. You know, just a bequest, residual bequest. 
uh, and annuities. Those are the, by far the most popular. And so little by little, um, we're, we're developing a more, um, a more familiar uh, estate uh, office to, that, you know. So I'm gonna ask you the, the final couple of questions. One, where does a prospective student or the families, where do they learn about Christendom College? Mm -hmm. That's easy. Uh, Christendom.edu. Now, of course, you have to know how to spell Christendom, but it, and it's 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 hard to pronounce even for many people, but it right. is it is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-O-M. How did you guys get the name? Do you know? That came from Dr. Carroll. It, it was a it was a word that defined a culture of Christ that was more familiar over the past centuries. Um, and he wanted to bring that back, the concept that Christ, the kingdom of Christ, has a place in modern society, even though it doesn't seem to. Uh, so that's where the word comes from. And the second question, if somebody's thinking about making, you know, a bequest, a trust, mm -hmm. beneficiary, where do they get information on on you and, and the school? So, great. So I I can be reached uh, at siskanic at christendom.edu, or you can go to our website and go to giving.christendom.edu. Again, it's not that complicated. Uh, sometimes you just go to Christendom, go to a Google search and type in Christendom College and plan giving, and you'll find a, a host of of information. I'm just curious, some of the people up here, if they're in New York, how long does it take to get to, to Front Royal? Uh, the Lincoln Tunnel is 280 miles from okay. the president's house, you know, down the block from the college. So uh, if you drive on 81 uh, and you drive at 70, people will be honking and passing you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 280 miles at 70 miles an hour is four hours. So you can get from the Lincoln Tunnel to christen under four hours and i've done it i've i've actually come to new york to meet donors and then drove back at the end of the day that's a long drive i i, I once i've done that twice i've said and that's it and uh, from now on uh, i'm gonna i'll extend my visit with uh, meeting other other supporters and stretch it into two days but uh I, having grown up in new york it's easy for me to get in and in and around new york i know the area very well well if it's easy to get around i don't know how you know new york area very well <laughs> i have problems going five miles sometimes <laughs> well uh you know the, the new yorkers uh i love new york i have generations of family here but when i left new york when i left the city my cousins who you know just like john why would why would you leave <laughs> and, uh, but when you when you go down and see it uh, my answer is you'd never want to leave you never want to leave uh, virginia I, I love it um, i'm i'm acclimated to the, the valley and the slower pace of life so do you have any final words to the audience about you know your mission the mission of the school yeah well that's that's uh you caught me off guard i didn't i didn't actually contemplate that but um what would i say um i will say this that when i was in admissions i would describe to the parents the quality of the education but to the young people who came i would say this college, this experience will find you the closest friends that you will ever meet in your life. And, and I have seen that over and over that, uh, one fellow who serves on our board once said to me, John, I found my, 
my best friends, I found my wife, I found my career, and I and I and I found a a, a beautiful perspective of uh, my belief, my church here at Christendom College. What more could you ask for? I agree. Thank you for doing the good work. No, thank you. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of, of Ask the Lawyer. You know, this is an election year, and I don't think, I think everybody knows that. But I have to stress, it's important to vote. And here to remind us that is former Senator Marty Golden. Welcome again to Connors Corner, Marty. Michael Connors, thank you very much for having us, and uh, this is a great topic. And uh, I'm glad that you are addressing it, and uh, hopefully a good people of our great, great city will go out and vote on November 8th and make sure they vote for the right person. And that's Lee Zeldin for our great, great governor of this great state, God willing. You know, I think one of the biggest issues for the for the, for the the people in this neighborhood and all over, and and I'm hearing it from different segments of society, is crime, street crime, and cashless bail. That was one of the biggest mistakes which the the legislature after you left passed, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And, and the idea is that you can commit almost any kind of crime, get out on the street in a short period of time, and not have bail. And that has led to disastrous results all all around the city, if not the state. And Governor Hochul refuses to address the situation. She was asked to bring back a special legislative session, and she refused to do so. She probably refused to do so because she probably couldn't get the state legislature to do what they're supposed to do. And the state legislature is the disaster in the state of New York. It is the worst that we've ever seen. This cashless bail is putting people back on the streets almost before the police officer has the ability to finish his paperwork. Think about what I'm telling you. That's in- Ridiculous. Uh, you got people not arrested 10, 15 times. You have people arrested 60, 70, 80 times and being released back on the street for heinous crimes, rape, uh, robbery, burglary, uh, walking down the street, punching you in the face and robbing the watch off of you. Seniors getting tortured. I mean, it's out of this world. We just cannot exist this way any longer. People are very upset. Inflation, obviously, is one thing that really hurts people. But the, the real thing, the underlying issue is crime. People are afraid for their lives, for their children, for their grandchildren, and for the future of where they lived, they grew up. And that's why you see people making decisions to leave. Uh, and there are people coming and filling in those homes that people leave to go to other parts of the of the uh, country. But there are other parts of this country that are doing the same thing. But I do believe this is a lesson learned, uh, that in the city of New York, you see crime at a rampant rate and you're going to see only way it's going to change is when you get cashless bail out and you put bail 
back in. You stop cuffing our judges. You stop cuffing our police officers. You put more police officers on the street. You give them the respect and the job and the duty that they have to perform. You give them the ability to do that. You should even increase their salaries, to be honest with you. These people are hurting themselves out how there. Much, how much do New York City police officers get I'm paid? I'm not even sure. They're telling $80,000, something in that category. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you raise a family on that? You can't. In uh, New York City. In New York City, you can't. And you can only live in a certain yeah. certain number of counties surrounding the, the city. The starting pay is like $45,000. Right. So that's three years to five years before you start to get the top pay. And that takes a while. Yeah, now let me ask you something. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seriously doubt if any Republican voted for cashless bail. I don't think so either. And I can be honest with you, uh, cashless bail is just part of it. The discovery, uh, that means that the, if you have something that the uh, you've just locked somebody up and you have the complainant's name and you got the complainant's telephone number and you have the reason for the arrest, you have to give that to the to your, the, oppo- the, the opposing the, the lawyer, which is going to be defense attorney, which is going to be able to turn that over to the person that did and committed the crime. So this person's going to have the complainant's name, telephone number, where they live. Uh, this is ridiculous. And they wonder why they can't get cases done. You could have thousands of pages of discovery. They're all going now to the defense attorney to get everything. Never have we seen that before. That has to change as well. Discovery has to go back the way it was. If the DA has what he needs, then let the DA process his crimes and let the DA put the people where they belong in jail. And that's what we need. We don't need DAs like Bragg in New York City because he's another disaster that lets people out and you know, signs off and lets them go. We need real district attorneys. We need police officers uncuffed and we need our judges uncuffed. You know, can you explain again the impact that, that Bragg has on the, the residents of Manhattan? I, it, it Which is, is all of us because we all go into Manhattan, whether is. we live there or not. And, you know, they, it will be less of us going pretty soon when they finish with this congestion pricing. <laughs> if that ever gets passed, I, they, I forget about it, 23 or 20, 23 is the minimum, I think, per day uh, that you will spend to go into the city of New York. Can you think? That's crazy. And then you go in there and you got a crazy DA like Bragg that's releasing everybody into the streets for not minor crimes. I mean, major, major assault, uh, robbery, um, rape. Uh, He's releasing them within 24 hours. They're back on the street and they're being rearrested two or three weeks later. This is plain wrong. We got to get the right DAs. We got to get the cash this bailout. We got to get discovery back where it should be. And we've got to get the city and state back to where it should be. And that's by going and voting on November 8th and make sure you vote the right ticket for the right people. Hochul has been a disaster. And I cannot believe she won't even debate this guy that's running again, Lee Zeldin. I think she owes this city and state that debate so we can understand exactly where she's coming from. And I think the people of this great city and state will know they need a new governor and they need a new state legislature. And it's time to get that accomplished. You know, let's go back. What brag? I mean, been very soft on criminals, obviously, but you got a poor bodega employee dominican guy he defends himself and how many days does he spend in jail three days or something he's yes and he's charged with uh second degree murder correct correct and i'd brag getting away with that and get the, the, can you imagine that the guy that's actually being abused the store owner that's actually being abused being robbed and here they are putting this poor 
poor guy in jail. This is insane. And it's not just that. That's the one you read about. There's a hundred of them uh, that are similar to that, where he's going out and he's putting the complainant, the good guy, is going to jail versus the bad guy that committed the crime. Now, what's the reasoning behind that? That completely uh, escapes my mind. I kind of understand that, uh, you know, like bail, a lot of people who didn't commit serious crimes were stuck in Rikers for longer than they should. But what's the reasoning behind prosecuting guys who are acting in self-defense? Well, they, they, he's going after the they overprotected themselves, that they may have used more force than was necessary. They're not police officers. Police officers have an obligation to use necessary force. They can't use force above and beyond uh, the commission of a crime. The store owner hasn't got any of that training. The store owner doesn't know how many people are outside his store ready to come in and gang up on him. That store owner's fighting for his life or her life. And what they need to be able to do is have the due process of law. What they did is defend themselves. That's all they did. So if they continue to hit this guy when he's down and you, you have no idea who's coming in behind that individual, who's going to jump on you? So they went after this individual and it was wrong. This guy should have never been charged. This guy should have never spent any time in jail. The only guy that should be in jail is the guy that went in to rob that store. And that's not the only case. Like I said, that's the only case we're reading about. There are hundreds. But what about the girlfriend? The girlfriend. That was- she starts stabbing the, the guy who, again, is just trying to defend himself. Agreed. And he's not a big guy. No. And you got to take that into account. He's an older gentleman, not a big guy, and he's facing a, a fairly big assailant. He is indeed. And that's what I'm saying. You never know who's coming in behind him. That woman was there. She was insane. She was part of this whole process. Uh, she should have been charged, and she should go to jail. Uh, she was charged, but she wasn't charged the way she should be. And if there are other people, listed, if you're being assaulted and somebody's coming at you, you have no idea again you got woman here, you got this individual you're fighting with, who else is coming in that store that's going to hurt you and try to take your livelihood from behind that counter and take your bread and butter and hurt you at the same time so you cannot do your job in the future? It's wrong, just plain wrong. It's un-American. That's why we need Americans to step up to the plate and get out there and vote in November. Now, you know, here's one other thing. You know, somebody burglarizes your apartment, your house. That's not considered a crime that deserves bail right now. I mean, I, I think it's one, one of the most uh, personal violations of, of your home being violated or whatever. But that's not a serious crime, you know, as long as it wasn't a weapon involved to break into the house or whatever. That's not a serious crime. Right. And you get out on bail. You can burglarize your house tomorrow. They can catch him in the morning. And he's out on bail before noon. That is totally correct. And is it right? No. It's plain wrong. There's set, separate types of burglary. One burglary is when nobody's home, you come into your house, you're still violating that individual's home. You're taking their computer, their prized possessions, and you're going out and selling them on the street to somebody that's going to use that computer to hurt you. Think about that. Now there's the other one where you're actually sleeping in your home and a guy comes in the window and burglarizes your home. That guy's getting released as well. That's burglary one. That's wrong. And if the guy has a weapon, it's burglary one. That is wrong. That person belongs in jail and should not be out on the street. And yet, they are. I mean, burglaries are probably one of... One one crime that violates your, you know, used to be a man is supposed to be home in his castle. A man can defend his castle. But I, I would be I would not be surprised if somebody attacks someone who burglarizes his 
house just in self-defense and he's going to be charged with a crime even though there's no duty to retreat in your own home at least i learned that in law school if that hasn't been overturned no it's unfortunately you turn it's uh, it, it probably in the process of being overturned you cannot protect your home uh, and that's wrong and if you take a look at the gun bill that's now present before the what hulk will just put out uh you you'll never be able to carry a gun outside anyway uh it's going to be limited to being in the home because you can't bring it in their parks and schools you can't bring it into times square can't bring it into the transit system. Can you imagine? I can't wait till the Supreme Court overturns that piece of legislation. It's only a matter of time. But in the same token, how many people will be hurt, killed, maimed uh, before that's overturned? It's wrong. People are given gun permits because they have the ability to carry the gun. They've gone through a series of tests. They've gone through a series of, of, uh, of classes, and they understand exactly how to use that weapon when, in fact, if they have to use the weapon, they can do it in a real way. Yeah. And I mean, one of the most ridiculous things I see sometimes is, you know, signs in a hotel, you know, no guns allowed or whatever. Well, I'm sure that's going to stop a criminal from carrying his gun because you got a little sticker there. Not at all. And they say that's the other part of her legislation. You know, no guns allowed. You turn, So you cannot bring a gun into a site that has that sign up there. That's wrong. It's not going to work. It's going to be overturned. But unfortunately, people, bad guys will carry those guns and will maim, hurt, and kill uh, innocent civilians based on the legislation that this legislature and this governor passed. Cashless bail, discovery, and gun bill. That is ridiculous. These people need to be able to protect themselves. We need to be able to protect our home and our children and our families. And God willing, uh, we'll get back to the basics of safe cities, safe streets, and a good, good, solid community. Yeah, and, and I think too many people too many people pull their punches a little bit. Um, you know, Republicans did not vote for cashless bail. Democrats did. Correct. So no matter where you live in the state, you got to take that into mind. And I think very few Democrats did not vote I agree for, with for you cashless 100%, bail. I mean, that's... you know, we're partisan, yes, but there's a reason to be partisan. Well. I got to tell you right now that we are partisan because we see what's going on. We've given the Democrats, they've had it, the Democratic Assembly, Democratic Senate, Democratic governor. And guess what they've done? They've ruined this city and this state. We are the laughing stock of this great country. We were the greatest city and the greatest nation in the world. We're going to have to fight to get that back again because of what this Assembly, Senate, and this governor did. We cannot continue. And the only way you change that, November 8th, get out. Vote for Lee Zeldin. Vote down that Republican ticket. Vote down a person that's going to believe in you and believe in that flag. One flag under one God. That's what we need. And we don't have that today. November 8th, there's only one person. If this doesn't turn around, if you don't go out to vote, there's only one person you can blame. And that's yourself for not getting out to vote. Get out and vote. Make your vote count. And then, listen, there are a lot of people discouraged say, well, if I vote, it doesn't matter because there are going to be 10,000 absentee ballots coming in the next day. But I don't believe that that's the case. If you get out and you get out and vote, there will be uh, enough votes to be able to change the dynamics of this state. If we get Lee Zeldin elected, that legislature is in checkmate. We get a Senate, Republican Senate, the governor and the assembly would put checkmate if it were Democratic. What we need is a Republican governor, Lee Zeldin. We need a Republican Senate so that we don't get these silly bills out of the legislature and that we get back to doing the people's business. And that is keeping this city safe 
and the environment around them safe so that they can have a good place for their families to grow and to mature and to be able to want to stay and live in the greatest city at one time in the nation. Yeah, so don't don't forget to vote. Don't forget to get registered to vote. There's some people out there they haven't voted in a few years and they're not they may not be legally registered to vote. Check on that. Make sure you're re- you're registered to vote. And if you're in our Brooklyn office, we got somebody right in the office who registered to vote. That's the important part. Is there's only one person to blame if you're not registered and if you don't go out and vote on November eighth, only person you can blame is yourself. And you know we've heard that before, but now it's really hitting home. When you see what's going on in this city, in this state, it is sad. You cannot continue to live like this. We cannot live in fear. We need to be able to take our city back, block by block, community by community. We need to get this city back to where it used to be and this state. And we can only do that by getting rid of that legislature and getting rid of that governor that's up there now, Hochul, that won't debate. I mean, this is ridiculous. We need a real governor and a real state legislature. And remember, the governor has an, an opportunity to remove a DA who's not performing. Yeah, and Bragg is still there. Why is that? Uh, wouldn't you think uh, Hochul would have uh, got rid of him? What, what was the guy before? Como? He would have gotten rid of him. No, no, they didn't. They kept this incompetent man as the DA of New York City, releasing these murderers, rapists, robbers into our streets. It's wrong, and it shouldn't happen. Okay, remember to vote in November. Thank you. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.